0: Welcome to our Roots Say That We're Sisters podcast. This podcast series is sponsored by the Marquette Forum with support from Marquette University's Office of Institutional Diversity and Inclusion and the Hagerty Museum of Art. It's an extension of a Marquette University mural project to highlight and uplift diverse women identified individuals whose images and contributions have been systematically made invisible. The artist, Mauricio Ramirez, used photographs of BIPOC women associated with Marquette as inspiration for the images in the mural. The Our Roots Say That We're Sisters podcast preserves the stories of female identifying students, faculty, staff, and alumni who've used their gifts to make a meaningful impact on others, especially those who remain unsung heroes. I'm your host, Sheena Carey, from the Diedrich College of Communication. Joining us today is Shivani Choksi, CEO of Impactionable. Thank you for agreeing to share your story with us today. Thanks for having me, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. So Shivani, what is the story you want to share with us today?
1: Today, I want to share a little bit about pushing the boundaries as an Indian American woman. I think that there is a third space that we can create for ourselves and for others. And it's a movement that's just starting and would love to have a
0: gain more momentum over time. So how did you get onto your path and what is that path?
1: Yeah, so essentially I started my journey back when I was a freshman at Marquette. But before that, I came from a very conservative Hindu sort of household. We were taught to live life according to a series of checklists. You get the job, you go to school, you get engaged, married, kids, grandkids. It was a checklist to live a more successful and a holistic life. But my checklist looked a little bit different from the very beginning. The career path that my parents thought was something that would be deemed as successful was you had to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. That was essentially sort of the mentality that was created from the very beginning. So I started my journey at Marquette thinking that I was going to be a doctor. So I majored in biological sciences. And for some reason, I was working twice as hard as others, but was still getting C's and was not understanding why things weren't clicking for me like they were for others. And then that all sort of changed during the second semester of my junior year when i went to my grandfather's school that he built in degam india around 50 years ago so i visited that school i would say two or three times before but i really saw the school for what it was during that time he told us stories about how he fought with the government to get some sort of budget going and funding going to build a school he worked with his other friends there and they built it from scratch and 50 or so years later, I was able to really spend time with the students there for that week that I was there and ultimately saw that it grew into staffing eight teachers or holding 400 students, students that were basically living on subsistence farming and practices there that wouldn't have an education otherwise. So something in me sort of just clicked from that moment on. I came back to Marquette, I changed my major from biological sciences to peace studies and conflict resolution, something that I would not recommend during the second semester of your junior year.
0: Not the major, but the timing?
1: Yeah, the timing. (laughs) The timing, definitely. So I made that my major. And bio, I had enough credits, so made that my minor. And there was also Arabic that I had taken as well as a part of that combating that sort of Islamophobic rhetoric that I was also told from the very beginning. So I learned Arabic to sort of rebel against my parents that way too. But essentially, one thing led to another, and I ended up graduating early, went on to try to figure out what was the next path for me. If I wasn't going to be a doctor, maybe I could be a lawyer instead. So I ended up taking the LSAT. And another thing about me, I don't test very well either. So when I took the LSAT, I was aiming for a 160. The highest you can get is a 180. So I'm like, all right, I can at least get into the average score there and get into some college. Ended up getting a 145, totally bombed it and was facing another existential crisis like what's going on with me? Why am I not good in school like I traditionally should be? and ended up, for some reason, the week before George Washington University's Master in Public Policy application was closing, my cousin actually just notified me that it was closing, and that's something that might interest me. They don't take the GRE. Um, It was the first time ever that they weren't requiring it for their admissions. So I checked it out. I ended up having some interest in it. So I got my application ready within that week and then submitted it not hoping for the best, ended up getting in and then spending the best two years of my life there. And then I met my co-founder there through one of my internships and haven't looked back since. So it was crazy. It was a series of accidents and fix-ups and trial and error. But I don't know, that's part of life, I guess.
0: (laughs) It's interesting because you were talking about, okay, I couldn't be a doctor, maybe I'll be a lawyer. It sounds like you were still trying to hit that checklist, though, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So my real question, though, is how has your identity helped you to disrupt that checklist? Mm. I know that some things have been serendipitous, Mm -hmm. but it seems as though there's been this sort of determination to really create your own path.
1: Yeah. So essentially, there's two sides of being Indian American, right? There's the Indian side— And there's the American side. So the Indian side is very much based off of conservation and communal values. The American side is very individualistic. And it's very pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of ideology. So I think in that way, as an Indian American, it's helped me kind of see a third space that I wanted to create for myself. Maybe I can take some from this culture and some from this culture and make something of my own. So I think my identity has really helped me navigate and really rely on my gut for what seems right to me. I think the American side comes out a little bit strong in that way, but the Indian side really helps me see the value in family and sees the value in more of like the culture and retaining the culture there as well. So my identity has shaped everything that I've done to this point and everything more that... I can potentially do in the future.
0: So tell us a little bit about Impactionable. You had mentioned a co-founder. And when we had spoken just prior to this, I had referred to you as a social entrepreneur. Is that a mantle that you wear?
1: I do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Impactionable, essentially, we help people find jobs, funding opportunities, and networking opportunities, specifically in the social impact space. On the other side, with the partnerships that we form, we try to build meaningful, sustainable relationships with those partners so we can help them with their talent pipelines and their marketing initiatives in this space. So through this whole mission, we're trying to create a community that does social work, that doesn't just say that they're going to help others, but actually do help others. So yeah, it's growing strong. We have an international sort of presence now as well, and it's really exciting. And how old is the business? Two and a half years. Okay.
0: What are your hopes for the future of this business? What would be the impact that you hope to gain through this company?
1: Yeah, I think I think it just goes back to the mission that anyone, no matter who they are or where they are, can make social change, can make social impact. Sometimes we think about impact in terms of revenue or we think of impact in terms of meeting the bottom line instead of the triple bottom line. I think especially the way that millennials and Gen Zs are starting to view the world is that everyone wants to make a difference, but they just don't know where to start. So essentially, we're just helping people start and hopefully their careers can be sort of a, an example for that.
0: Excellent. In what ways does the theme of the mural resonate for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I love the fact that essentially this mural kind of puts the people who are traditionally marginalized and ostracized, especially within Marquette. I see it more so than ever, but those people, women of color, women identifying people of color, are now front and center. It's now changing the narrative. To share a little bit about their perspective, that they will be seen and heard, that there is a sort of communal aspect towards not only the people who are represented in the mural, but hopefully people who are viewing the mural as well. There is something powerful to be said. And the fact that it's being held at Marquette is even more influential, especially based off of my experience when I was there in 2013 to 2016. There was a lot of microaggression and systemic racism that I would see play out every single day, not only in my life, but in my friends' lives as well. So I know that there have been controversial murals in the past, but I love the fact that this initiative is happening and that women-identifying
0: persons are being seen. What do you feel has been Marquette's impact on women of color?
1: This is a tough question. (laughs) It's a very heavy topic. During my time at Marquette, I would see outward signs of racism and sort of oppression that was not only seen within the student body, but within administration and professor levels as well. It started from the education that we were taught. For instance, a lot of the core curricula in English, literature, history were taught from certain perspectives that were very problematic. And you had to specifically choose to take social justice classes that weren't required if you wanted to learn about the topic at all. So there was always a question of representation. There was always a question of, okay, you're saying that you're helping, but what are you actually doing? There are so many examples of tokenizing people of color, like the pamphlets that we see at Marquette. You'll always see at least one person of color within Marquette being on those pamphlets to show that they've diversified their student body. Whereas when you're on campus, it's actually the majority is white, Jesuit, Catholic, or it's just very conservative in nature. So I think the stories that we're seeing when we're on campus versus when we see Marquette at base value, they're two different stories. And I'm an Indian woman of color, so I have certain privileges that my Black or Latinx colleagues or friends don't have. And I can say, you know, I've, especially on campus, because we're so tied to the city as well. And I love that Marquette doesn't really reside in a very, like a huge tangible bubble that people within the city can still come in and out and the bus system still goes in and out. But there were very overt signs of racism that I've experienced and that my colleagues and my friends had experienced during their time at Marquette. And those can sometimes be pushed aside. Safe spaces have been provided at Marquette at the faculty level, but I think the majority of it is still pushed to the side.
0: In what ways has that impacted your sense of self-worth?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So especially when you are in your teens and you're trying to figure out the way that the world works. And essentially, I think being on campus at Marquette makes you feel like the world is more geared towards helping white folks, essentially. And whiteness is not only on the surface level, but it's in our mindset. It's in the way that the system operates. And it's so subliminal, something that we don't really recognize until someone teaches us, that we can really see and learn what it's about. So it really did question my self-worth. It made me question the brownness of my skin and it made me question what my place really is in the world. I was a part of a lot of Indian clubs and dance groups and stuff during my time on campus, but there was always a side of me that wanted that approval that came from being with white folks. Um, I had white friends and all of that too, but I think that there's just a part that was instilled in me from a very young age that only amplified during my time at Marquette.
0: So pushing away from that and thinking a little bit about what inspires you and what keeps you strong, keeps you grounded, and gives you a chance to see that sense of self-worth, who've been women of color who've served as inspiration for you?
1: Yeah, I love this question. I would say number one is my mom. She's always been a sort of inspiration to me. She leads with her heart, and that makes her stronger and more powerful as a leader. She's a dentist and has her own office. So she inspires me every single day. The second one is the ex CEO of Pepsi. Her name is Indra Nui. She's an Indian woman who immigrated here, but essentially, she talks about creating the third space all the time. There was this one interview that I was listening to where. She shared that she had succeeded in a huge project at Pepsi. She was the vice president at that time. She succeeded, and it was like a months long or years long journey, and it was a huge success. And she was feeling very excited about the prospects of the project. But she comes home at 10 p.m., and her mother in law asks, Does she bring home the milk? So it's two different sides of the story that we see. and. She constantly talks about no matter how big your crown is in the office, you're always expected to shed it when you get home. And I think, especially with the dichotomy that exists between these two different cultures, she has experienced it and constantly experiences it for herself. And that's someone that she does it so gracefully and she does it so powerfully that I really look up to her work. And my third woman that inspires me is. My sister, she is a trans woman of color and she is one of the most courageous people that I know. And I don't tell her very much because she's my sibling and you're not supposed to tell your sibling you're proud of them, but she really does inspire me a lot. So yeah,
0: I would say those are my three. Where did that rule come from? You're not supposed to tell your siblings <laughs> that you're proud of them. If your siblings don't tell you right after they punch you, of course. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you gotta have balance. You gotta I know. <laughs> What role has vulnerability played in the journey that you have embarked upon?
1: Yeah, so vulnerability is something that I actually think holds a lot of strength rather than weakness. That's something that I've been taught from my mom, whether or not she knows it, but even my coach has shared this. But I think Vulnerability really leans into the bravery, the courage it takes to really express who you are and put that at the forefront of who you are. Sometimes, especially in the business world, you're taught to hide behind the shells or the walls that you've put up around your heart. And essentially, I understand the rationale behind it, but I think that there can be a lot of strength in showing your emotions to people and showing your inner circle who you are and there's this constant concept of battling between fear and love and actually vulnerability is a sign of true love for yourself and for others around you so it's constantly played a role in my life and at first you know I was taught that it was a weakness but now I'm seeing more and more that it's actually a strength and only makes the relationships with yourself. With your work, with your colleagues, with whoever it is, stronger around you. So, yeah, I actually really lean into vulnerability as much as I can.
0: What impact would you like to have or hope to have on women of color coming behind you, who are surrounding you, who may be looking back and saying, oh, (laughs) I might be able to do that?
1: (laughs) I think it goes back to challenging the norm. I know that my whole spiel is. Geared towards Indian women of color. I and mean, I can speak to that experience because I'm one myself. But I think it's really about challenging the expectations that have been given to you from the very beginning and really relying on your gut for things that do feel right to you. And really asking yourself anytime you learn something, is it something that is expected of you or is it something that you want to do? constantly pushing back on that is really important and it will only make you more independent and stronger and better for yourself and for your community. So yeah, that's what I really hope for women of color, for Indian women of color. And I think that will only make us stronger for the future.
0: Are there any suggestions that you would give to women who have heard this idea that you've posited around creating a third space and how they might do that for themselves? How do you determine what that third space is for yourself?
1: Mm, That's a great question. So I think essentially for me, it ended up being the fact that I was a very spiritual person. So I was able to listen to the signs around me and why things were the way that they were. I think starting in this journey, it's really important to start asking the question why to anyone and everyone who is trying to teach you something. So my parents for instance would tell us okay these are some of the religious practices that you should do and i would ask them why and they wouldn't have an answer for why they would say oh it's just because it's been done the way that it's been done for years and when that's the answer then you start thinking hmm maybe there's an alternative or maybe there's something better so when you start asking why you'll be able to see certain layers unfold and it doesn't have to be as drastic of a third space as it was for me. Maybe there can be instances of third spaces for you, but essentially, constantly learning and unlearning and reiterating over and over, challenging what the norms are and what the expectations are, especially for women, I think is really important. And like I said, it can be really difficult and it can make you very vulnerable and it can feel like a weakness, but. In the long run, it always pans out. And I promise you, it always pans
0: out. So Shivani, what are your hopes for the future?
1: This is a great question. My hope for the future is for people to lean more into the capital L in love rather than the lowercase. So what this means is love actually isn't really encompassed into any person or thing or goal or whatever you want to achieve. It's actually more encompassing sort of concepts like being courageous, being brave, being open, no matter how many times that you've been hurt, really like allowing yourself to hurt and feel that pain and then still pushing and being able to rely on yourself to move forward. So there is this dichotomy between fear and love. And I think the world teaches you to fear at a very early age. But if we... Lean more towards love, A love for ourselves, love for others, our communities will only grow. And hopefully love for our planet will grow as well as climate change is something that is perpetually getting more of our focus, and it should. So yeah, that's my hope.:
0: What do you want the community to know about your journey?
1: I think the last thing is to check out some of our work that we do at Impactionable, if I can just plug that real quick. So impactionable.com, if you want to check out our work, we'll help you find jobs in the space and help you find other people who love helping others and doing good work in their local communities. So yeah, essentially, we just tell our community members that it doesn't matter how big you end up starting, you just have to
0: start somewhere and we'll help you start somewhere. So
1: yeah, that's my hope.
0: Well, Thank you, Shivani Choksi. Your story stands as a testament to the amazing stories in our community yet to be uncovered. Our roots say that We're Sisters podcast and The Mural Project seek to make these stories visible. Again, thanks to our sponsor, the Marquette Forum, Marquette's Office of Institutional Diversity and Inclusion, and the Haggerty Museum of Art for your support for this project.